Lord, unveil our minds, remove all impediments to the gospel, that we might behold you as you are. Amen. St. Paul writes to us this morning in 2 Corinthians about the veiling of the gospel, the inability to hear the message of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, and indeed to even be able to see Jesus as he is. And we see throughout history uh, two ways in which that has manifested itself. Uh, Well, one, the mind is veiled against the gospel. If you keep reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, St. Paul will address this. That is, uh, because of our own sinfulness, uh, we're not able to see uh, Jesus as he is. We're not able to hear the gospel message. But also, we ourselves veil the gospel so that we may not see it or that others may not see it. And what was happening there in Corinth is one way in which the gospel is veiled. But there's another way, and that is to take away from the message of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. It would be to proclaim Jesus as less than God in the flesh. It would be to reduce the cross to simply a loving example rather than an atonement for the sins of the world would reduce the gospel message and Jesus himself to nothing. But what was happening in Corinth and what happens often today in the church and in the world, and we're going to talk about this this morning, is to actually add to the gospel. But we know that to add is to subtract. What was happening in the church in Corinth, Paul had gone in and he preached the gospel and a church had developed by God's mercy and grace. And uh, yet uh, they fell into some trouble. Uh, If you want to know more about that, turn left in your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul has written them once before. But now what has happened are these very articulate preachers have moved in and they were called the Judaizers. That is, they were preaching not just the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, indeed. They were saying, behold Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. But they were adding to it that it wasn't simply enough to believe on Jesus. But you had to do things. You needed to keep the Jewish dietary laws. You had to be circumcised if you were a Gentile. You needed to make sure to keep yourself undefiled by all the corruption there in that port city of Corinth. And so St. Paul writes and says, look, I understand that I'm not a great preacher, that I'm slight in stature, but you're veiling the gospel. You're creating impediments for people to hear the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And because there are things being added to it, it is no gospel at all. Now, today, very few of us are probably encouraging one another to keep Jewish dietary laws, but we still add to the gospel. I was standing out next to a window looking out in an alleyway not that long ago, and there was somebody standing next to me, and we were watching the folks huddled in freezing temperatures smoking in the alleyway. And the person remarked, they really need the Lord. 
And I thought, Lord have mercy if the sins I struggle with were reduced to a stage on a cold alleyway and restricted to that area alone. I mean, it actually made me want to go out and start smoking with them uh, when she said that. Now, it it should be said that smoking uh, will not send you to hell, uh, but it will make you smell like you've been there. But there was this sense in which this person was articulating that said, you know, if they were really Christians, they wouldn't do that. Lauren, uh, my wife, does a very good job of keeping me between the ditches. And I was being very critical of an individual uh, once, and she stopped me and she said, now, Andrew, what if you were to judge yourself by the standard you expect others to keep? I went away sad. And I do that. I judge others by a standard that I cannot even keep. And what about those of us who begrudge the mercy of the Lord as Jonah did, when God himself saved the city of Nineveh from destruction and many people came to know him and enter into a relationship with him. And Jonah said, I knew that you would do this. I'm actually angry that you would take these people who I feel don't deserve your grace and mercy, the people smoking in the alleyways, the people doing whatever it is that we might consider unchristian, and you save them. They're attracted to the gospel. God's Holy Spirit is working in their lives. Now, this is not to say that the standard is in any way lowered for God's call on our lives. Indeed, The standard's much higher. The standard is perfection. But that is why Jesus Christ has entered into the human equation. But because of this attitude, because of this tendency to add to the gospel, it creates a climate of fear and distrust. It creates a veiled gospel to many in the world. I think of those who struggle silently with depression, afraid to tell others about their great struggle for fear of judgment. Christians get depressed. Christians struggle. But of all the religions and philosophies of the world, Christianity is the only one that allows you to admit it while at the same time holding out hope that is outside of us. You do not struggle alone, but we struggle alongside one another, holding up one another's arms in the midst of the battle of life, and above all, Jesus Christ, the great physician, our good shepherd, will see us through. You won't get through it in your own strength. But you must cast your burdens upon Jesus, for he cares for you. And it's that time of year where we ought to be thinking about those things that we struggle with as we head into Lent. Many of you have decided, or at least deciding, uh, about what it is that you might give up for Lent. And my past practice is to, uh, frankly, give up those things that are honestly not that hard to give up. 
When uh, Lauren and I were newly married, uh, we were at uh, one of our family's members' houses on Good Friday of all days. And we we're spending the night there, spending Easter with the family. And Lauren had a grandmother, Grandma Dot, who was the best grandmother. She was the one where you could do no wrong. Absolutely not. And so that actually made you want to love her even more. Uh, and somebody came in that morning with boxes of hot and ready Krispy Kreme donuts. And they were being passed around, and they said, Andrew, would you like one? And I said, no, 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 no. This is what I've given up on Lent. I've made it low these many days, and I don't want anything to do with those Krispy Kreme donuts. And people began to praise me for my willpower and the ability to resist temptation. Until that night, at about 1.30 in the morning, <laughs> I was lying in bed, and I couldn't stop thinking about those donuts. And so I made my way down to the kitchen in the dark of night. I got two donuts. I quietly microwaved them but didn't let the buzzer go off. I opened the freezer door and while holding the door open with my leg, I took a scoop of vanilla ice cream and mashed it between two. And as I was shoving it in my mouth, I closed the door and there stood Grandma Dot. Who just moaned, oh, Andrew. You know, and that's probably the best thing that could happen, is for me to fail. And think about it, we give up potato chips for Lent. God the Father gives up His only Son. So after that event and reflecting on what God has done for us, I've decided for Lent just to give up. As we head into Lent, is there any better time to give up? And yet, if it were only that easy. You know, those things that we give up that actually aren't that hard, but what about those things that really do plague us? Those things that are under the surface that we're afraid might slip out into the alleyways to be judged by the onlookers. I wish that I didn't care so much about the way that I looked my weight, my hair, my clothes. I wish that I wasn't so hurt by criticism. I wish that my attitude and disposition were not so fixed upon circumstance, but they are. Does that make me less Christian? Paul would say that that's the very thing that does make us Christians. The ability to acknowledge our own idolatry, to see it, to feel it, to hate it. And yet there is a sort of spiritual Stockholm Syndrome that won't allow us to let go. I say that I want to be in shape because it would honor the Lord. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but that's a lie. I want to be attractive. I say that I want to love my neighbor more. But I'm just hoping that God changes them, but not me. I say that I need to feel less guilty about time away from my children because they're growing up so fast. And we've tried everything from not feeding them to putting bricks on their heads. But they still grow up and time slips away. I want to be a better person. But in fact, I don't think I've ever been crankier in my life. And this boldness that Paul talks about, 
I'm sheepish at best. But this boldness comes not from us, but from the Lord Jesus himself. The truth that Jesus loves you in all your vanity, insincerity, messiness, sinfulness, brokenness, anger, immorality, loves you enough to die for you, means everything. Because of this, we can, as Paul says, commend ourselves to the world. See how he loves us. See how he has taken that which the world would place upon the ash heap of judgment. Especially if they only knew who we, were, who we really were. And yet he's taken that and he has made us his treasure. It's a wonderful hymn from the mid-19th century by a lady by the name of Anne Cousin. And this is one of the stanzas. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. That's why Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Robert Smith, the homiletics professor over at Beeson, has a wonderful little saying. And he says that we preachers, we preach so that you might preach. And what is it that we preach? Not us, not ourselves, but we, we preach our Redeemer Jesus Christ. This morning, if you are looking around yourself for an idea of what the Christian life looks like, if you're trying to catch a glimpse of the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, you may, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, you might catch glimpses of it. But if you want true freedom, deliverance, redemption, release, look to him who has poured out his life for you. Do not look to your spouse. Do not look to yourself. Do not look to your children, your neighbor. Do not look even to the church. But look to Jesus. Amen.